your Bibles to John chapter 17, and uh, at this time the children would come forward for junior church. Sorry, John chapter 11, my, my fault. John 11. And as they're coming down, um, I didn't get further word this morning, but yesterday we got word that Theodore and Rithika were at the hospital, and uh, they were expecting their baby to be born soon. So they went to the hospital yesterday at 6 a.m., and late last night, uh, there was still uh, no baby, and so I did not hear uh, this morning any word. He said he would text me when the baby comes. And so, but they could have been so worn out and tired that um, they didn't send me word. But um, hopefully I'll check in with them today, and we'll find out that they have uh, a healthy baby. And so uh, things have been uh, interesting for them out there in Oklahoma City. And uh, just continue to keep them in your prayers. Um, still dear members of our church family and and we certainly want the best for them and know the Lord is going to bring that into their lives. I'm going to be reading John 11, 17 to 44. John 11, 17 to 44. Fred, if you would bring me down. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Heavenly Father, we come before you today believing the words in this story that this event happened many years ago that Jesus showed up to the tomb of his friend, called out his name, and Lazarus came forth. And we ask, Lord, that today you would teach us something from your word about the resurrection power that is present in our Lord Jesus. Yes, he has the power to raise the dead. And yes, he has the power to raise up dead spirits to live with him forever. Lord, speak and work your miracles in our midst today, raising dead hearts to believe in Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. I've noticed over the last 10 years here that funerals have seemed to come in bunches. There are times when we don't have any funerals for 10 months, maybe even a year, a long time. And then all of a sudden, we'll have three in a month's time. Some of those have been really tough. Some of them have had a much more joyful tone. And it's important, I think, as as a preacher in that moment to get people to think not just about the one who has died, but to realize in that moment that all will. That there will come a time when you will be the body that's in the box. And I know that that's hard to imagine, but it is true. There will be a day when a bunch of people will come into a room very much like this, maybe even this very room, and talk about you. Your life, the things that you did, the things that were important to you. What will those people be thinking on that particular day? What will they say about you? Will the room be filled with hope? Or will that room be filled with despair? There was a day that we just read about when Jesus came to the funeral of his friend, Lazarus. And he offered joy and hope in the middle of those people's despair. He offered more joy and hope than anybody anticipated when he arrived that day. And what he said and what he did forms the basis of our hope and joy in any Christian funeral today. And it is a hope and a joy that we want to have present on that day, whenever it does come, when people show up to remember us. What Jesus did on that day in the funeral of his friend Lazarus was indeed unique. But this wasn't the first time that a person had been raised from the dead. In fact, Jesus had done it before. But it certainly was the first time where a person had been dead for days, multiple days, and had already had their body wrapped. We read about that there in the story. His body had been wrapped with linen cloths. He had had aloes and ointments put upon him. He had been put in a cave, 
Stone rolled in front of it, and his body left to decompose. He had been dead for days, and yet here was Jesus showing up there at that tomb and bringing him back. It was the first time that something like this had happened. Jesus received word from Martha and her sister Mary that Lazarus, his friend, had become very sick. They wanted him to show up and do something before it got worse. But Jesus waited. He didn't come immediately when they asked him. He knew what he was going to do. And it was not to make everything better before his friend died. He knew he was going to be bringing joy into their sadness, but not not yet. He and his disciples, they stayed put for another day or two. And by the time that he arrived in Bethany, the village of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. And when Martha hears that Jesus has come, she runs out to meet him. And immediately the first words she says to him are, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She has to be thinking, why didn't you come? What was more important than this? What was more important than us, the people that you love and your friend? But even in her sadness, she expresses faith in Jesus there in verse 22. She says, but even now, even after all of this, even after all that I've been thinking on for these last several days, all that's been running through my mind and all the sadness and the grief that these people have experienced, even now... I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give to you. So it's not complete despair. Now, she doesn't know what Jesus is planning to do. And the lack of that knowledge becomes clear in a little while when Jesus shows up to the tomb and she says, "Uh uh-uh, don't roll back that stone. Don't do that. It's going to be a bad smell coming out of there. So she doesn't know what Jesus is going to do. But she clearly believes that he is the unique son of God, the Messiah, the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. She believes that. She knows that he is more than some prophet, that he is more than some holy man. But Jesus says to her in response, your brother will rise again. And because we know the end of the story, We understand that Jesus is saying more than what Martha could imagine. That these aren't simply words that somebody says at a funeral that are just meant to comfort in the moment. These aren't just hollow words. I think we've probably all found ourselves in a moment like that where we show up to a wake or a funeral. And maybe we don't know exactly what to say in that moment. We're just trying to find some words We're uncomfortable. The whole situation is uncomfortable. You just don't know exactly what to say. So you fumble for something. Your brother's in a better place. Your sister isn't hurting anymore. And we just understand if we're the ones receiving those words, we understand that people are just trying to say something kind for comfort in the middle of all the discomfort. And it might have looked to Martha like Jesus is doing something like that when he says, your brother will rise again. 
And Martha responds, I know, I know, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. He'll be raised on that day. But Jesus is not just offering his condolences here. And he's not teaching a theology class either. He looks at Martha and he says these words to her. I am the resurrection and the life. He says, Martha, you do not need to wait until some end time date for death and the grave to be defeated. You don't have to wait for that. Resurrection and life are in me right here right now. There is hope for you in this moment, not in some future moment. And that's not all that Jesus says. He gives us a bit more to work with here in the next verse. He he gives us a couple of statements that explain what he means when he says resurrection and life. He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He's talking about resurrection there. Whoever believes in me, though he die, and he will die, yet shall he live. And then life. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's not making contradictory statements there. He's not saying some are going to die, some are going to live. He's saying that, no, you will die, and yet you will live. But there is a kind of life that he gives to his people that will never go out. So one is a promise about physical life, and the other is a promise about spiritual life. He is distinguishing those two things in this moment. And so for the believer, physical life will end someday. It will. So if you think that you will never be that person in the room, that you're always the one who shows up to somebody else's funeral, that will happen until the day comes when it is for you. We do not know when that is, but it will come. Death comes to all. But Jesus is promising here that for the believer, though you die, Though your body is put in the ground, yet shall you live. That that does not have the final say. So this promise of resurrection that Jesus is making here means a genuine, physical raising of the dead. But he's also talking about life, spiritual life. A life that he grants on the inside when a person truly believes. And once that life begins inside of someone, it will never die. It will never go out. This is what is meant, at least partially, when Jesus talks in the Gospel of John about eternal life. There were some ladies from the church who told me that they were going to go to the eternal flame this week. Did you all go? All right, they went, and they saw something eternal there, right? At least to us, it seems that way. There is a little stream of gas that comes out of a rock in Orchard Park, and even if the flame goes out, you can stick your lighter back in there, and pop, it just comes right back to life. No matter what time of year it is, that gas is always coming out. It's always present, and so we say it is eternal. As long as the earth is here and there's enough gas down there under the ground, it is eternal. 
But the life of Jesus, we're being promised here, will never go out in you once it has begun. Everyone, he says, who lives and believes in me, that person shall never die. Not this life that he begins inside of your heart. And to prove his point, Jesus is not just about words. He's here to prove a point with a most remarkable illustration. He's chosen to say these particular words at this time to demonstrate who he is and the truth of his words right there at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And so that's where they all go. And I'm sure this was not unusual. When Mary begins to go that way, all the people think that she's going to the tomb to weep there. That's just what they did. They would go back to the place where their loved one was buried, cry there, mourn there. But what happened at this particular tomb was quite unusual. Jesus commands the stone to be rolled away. And what does Martha say? Don't. She protests. Oh, Jesus, let's not do that. It's going to smell really bad. Why on earth do you want to pull the stone back? The body's begun to decompose in there. But Jesus persists. Did I not tell you you were going to see the glory of God? He then speaks a prayer out loud. And he tells us why he's been given the prayer out loud. He prays to God that his glory would be revealed. And he's like, and I'm saying all of this stuff right here so that everybody in my presence, Lord, will know that I'm praying to you by whose power this event is about to happen so that people will believe in the power of God and that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not some fraud. He's not some fake. He's not doing tricks. Some had said that he's doing these these miracles by the power of demons. So he's praying out loud to God his Father to demonstrate whose power it is that's about to do this miraculous thing. Verse 43. It says, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) Can you imagine being there that day? (laughs) I don't know how long it took for Lazarus to get up. But everybody gathered around and been like, oh, what? The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And so he was sort of mummified still in a Jewish burial custom, laying there dead and beginning to decompose when the voice of Jesus rings out into his darkness And the dead man responds to Jesus' words and does what he says. He gets up and he comes out. There are times when we read stories in the Bible and they just kind of sit there as stories. And maybe because we've heard them again and again, they begin to lose their effect on us. I think it's helpful that we can try to place ourselves there in some way or another or try to liken it to something that we have been to before. These people had been to lots of funerals just like you have. 
They'd gone to lots of tombs, but they'd never seen this. So it would be like we gather here just on one day for many of the funerals that we have seen before. Somebody has already, you know, been, had words spoken over them. The wake has happened. Funeral takes place. We all go back to our homes. We've been there for days. The, th- the words that were said are still ringing in our minds. Those who are closest to the family are still grieving. They are sad and they are crying. And somebody shows up and says, let's go back to that cemetery one more time. Like, ah, you know, I don't know if I really want to go back there again. Lots of bad memories already there. I don't feel like it. No, no, no. Let's go back. And so a few people come with that person back to the cemetery. He looks at that place where the fresh dirt is still there and says, come out. Can you imagine that? And all of a sudden, the dirt starts to move around. The earth starts to shake. And then you see it. Dead body wrapped up pops out of the ground. That's what happened that day. They were not anticipating this. They had never seen anything like this before. They didn't know what to make of it. Why, like, why did he even do this? This is phenomenal. And can you imagine if you had seen that, y'all go over to the cemetery and you saw something like this, you'd run everywhere. Of course, now we got phones, we'd be snapping pictures of things, trying to pop it out there for people to see. People would say, you know, that was, that was AI, like that was a video that was just made up, you know. But you couldn't wait to go out there and tell somebody what you had just seen. Phenomenal. Extraordinary. There's some things that we are to learn from this story here in John chapter 11. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he was giving both a preview of things to come and he was giving an illustration of truth, of both resurrection and life in what he did there at the tomb of Lazarus on that particular day. First, Lazarus is a preview of the resurrection of Jesus himself. And so when this event happens, it is very near to the time when Jesus will be killed. He is very close to his own death. He is about to go and die for the sins of many, and there he will be raised as the conqueror over death, never to die again. He is very close to that time. And all of those other resurrections in the Bible, including this one of Lazarus, those people were previews of something greater to come. All of these people who went before Jesus and were raised from the dead, there's only a handful of them. But they all were going to die again. They were raised back up, and then there would come a day when those people were put back in the ground again. And I have often wondered about Lazarus. We don't get much more of the story. We get just a little bit more, but not much more. It makes me wonder what Lazarus thought. No doubt Jesus would have talked to him later on about the miracle 
And Lazarus would have been grateful to have been used to glorify God on that particular day. But this man was dead for four days. And he must have been swept up into paradise. And he was brought back here and someday would have gotten sick and then died all over again. After this story, we read about a dinner where Lazarus was present. It says that they threw a dinner party for Jesus, celebrating, I'm sure, what he did for their brother, Martha and Mary's brother. And it says that Lazarus was sitting there at the table, and many Jews came just to see Lazarus because they'd heard the story. They came and saw him. We don't get to hear anything about what Lazarus was discussing at the dinner table. Like they had to have asked him, what did you see? What was it like? And Lazarus would have talked about all of that. But it said because many Jews believed in Jesus because of what he had done for this man, they also wanted Lazarus dead. They've got so much hate in their heart for Jesus, not only that they want him dead, they want Lazarus gone. They wished he just stayed in the ground the first time because they want to put him back there again. So Lazarus was evidence of Jesus' power. And we can only imagine what he sat there and talked about at that dinner table. But he was simply a preview of something that was greater to come. And the first thing was Jesus' own resurrection. Jesus will lay down his life, we are told, and then he would take it back up again. He would not stay in the ground. He will become the first person to be raised from the dead, never to die again. But Lazarus is also a preview of the future resurrection of all of those in Christ. So he's not just a preview of Jesus when he is raised from the dead. Lazarus serves as a preview for all who believe in Jesus and have been joined to him. So Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so Lazarus died, and he was raised to live again. And this is what Jesus promises to do for all of those who are in the ground who died trusting in him. And he's been saying that throughout John's gospel. He says things like this, John chapter 6, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He's not just throwing that out there, some sort of throwaway words. He is saying that everybody who believes in me, I will raise them up from the ground. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, like Lazarus, come out. He'll come out and command the dead to rise with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. They're coming out. And then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So Lazarus is a preview of what will happen at grave sites all around the world that contain people who have trusted in Jesus. He will come down in the clouds and he will cry out, My people! 
Come out. And they will. What a sight that will be. And so when we gather together at a Christian funeral, it is marked with hope that all who believe in Jesus and are buried in the earth will someday from that very spot where they were placed, they will be coming back out of there again. There is hope in the middle of that sadness. And Lazarus is a preview of that day. But Lazarus is also a kind of illustration. He's a preview of the resurrection of Jesus, physical resurrection of Jesus. He is a preview of the physical resurrection of all of those who have trusted in him. But he's also an illustration, not just of the physical life that Christ will raise from the dead, but the way that Jesus raises spiritual life out of spiritual death. Jesus does that too. Last week I mentioned the call that goes out to Jesus' sheep. His sheep hear his voice and they follow him. And Lazarus, he shows us this same truth in a very dynamic way. He was dead, and he heard the voice of his shepherd Savior. Lazarus is an illustration of the life that Jesus gives, and I'm talking about spiritual life, eternal life. The voice of Jesus calls out to his own. They hear him and they will follow him. They hear him when they are spiritually dead. And Jesus breathes his life into their sinful souls. And those very people begin to grow into the image of their Savior. And so whenever you believed, If you were here this morning and there was a day or a season, a time frame in your life when you believed, you trusted in the name of Jesus in a different way than you ever had before. You might have heard his name growing up. You heard lots of stories about Jesus. But there came a day when his name became sweet in a different way. He became a savior to you. And his voice came to you in a kind of power that made you want to begin to live for him and not live for yourself anymore. There was a change. If that day has happened at some point in your life, before that day, you were in a state of death. Spiritual death. Yeah, you walked around living, breathing, talking, working, all the things that everybody else does. But from the vantage point of God, you were spiritually dead because you were disconnected from him. Your sin had separated you from him. You lived for yourself, not for the glory of God. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But then, the voice of Jesus came to you And woke your dead heart up. All became new. He certainly did. That's what Ephesians 2 describes. Listen to what it says here. And you. Paul talking to the Ephesian church. These people that he came and preached the gospel to. So when he met them, they were dead. 
Then he preached gospel, good news of Jesus. Life came. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world like everybody else, just doing what the world does, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were all like that, separated from God carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That describes every person in this room. At some point in your life, this was you. Whether you knew it or not, whether you even think back on that part of your life like that, this is how God saw you. Children of wrath, deserving of wrath, judgment, because you were in your sin. But God, it says there, hope, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Why he did, it is profound. Why would he love these children of wrath? They contribute nothing to him. They do not bring glory to him. And yet he still loves us when we were in that state. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. There is resurrection power right there in that moment. God made us alive. You did not make yourself alive. You contributed nothing toward this. God looked down upon you. He smiled on you that day and gave you ears to hear the beautiful voice of your shepherd. You had never heard him before. But on that day, ah, oh, Jesus' voice. And like there at the tomb, when he looked at that tombstone and he said, Lazarus, come out. On that day for you, God looked at you and he said, Carol, come alive. And Carol came to life. She wasn't wrestling with God. Dead people don't wrestle. Might have looked like that on the outside. But when he spoke life into Carol, life came, just like it did at the tomb of Lazarus that day. His sheep hear his voice, and they will respond to him. Life came into death. That is your story if you have trusted in Jesus Christ. You have been made alive by the power, the beautiful power of God, and we will sing his praises into eternity and delight in the grace that he gave to those who did not deserve it. That's our story. God is powerful, and he is filled with love, and he delights to speak life into death. And that is absolutely what is required if anybody is going to live. God has to move powerfully. And Jesus shows us that day in the death of Lazarus what he does in us. This is what is required. When we go out there and tell anybody the good news of Jesus, that's what's required. You've explained the gospel perfectly to them. And yet they just don't have ears to hear it in that moment. We pray that God speaks into their souls and makes them come alive. The power's not in us. 
It is in our merciful and kind and loving God. Life springs up where death once ruled. And Jesus is saying that once that life has begun and those he has spoken it into, it does not go out. Why? Because you have been grafted into the resurrected life of Jesus himself. Believing brought you into contact with the greatest power in the universe, the one who made the universe. The life of God is joined in that moment to the soul of man by faith in Jesus Christ. The powerful life of God enters into your soul and you are forever changed. I love landscaping. used to do quite a bit of it. I love trees. I love grass, flowers, dirt. I like green, and you want green to stick around here as long as it can. Every now and then I'll see a place where a skilled landscaper has grafted two different kinds of trees together. Have you all ever seen that before? How many of you all have ever seen that? You, know, you got this larger trunk down here, and you got this little, little one coming up out of it. Maybe a Japanese maple or something like that is springing out of this different trunk. So these two things that were once living separately have been brought together in the same life. God has done something like that with Jesus and his people, though there is one key difference going on there. We were not both alive and healthy at the time. Jesus, full of life. And what God does, he takes these dead things, these dead creatures, and he joins them to the life, the living trunk of Jesus. And then life springs forth out of us once we are joined to him. When dead things come into contact with Jesus, they come to life. That's what happened with Lazarus when Jesus' voice touched him. And that's what happens to us when our dead souls come into contact with the living word of God. Life springs forth. And in that moment, we are renewed, recreated. New growth begins to blossom off of us. It's because we have been connected to Jesus and it's his life that is being produced in us. And his fruit begins to grow on our tree because we're grafted into him. So by faith, we are joined to Jesus. We're told in other places that by faith, we share in his death. We die to sin. That's the cross element of it. We die to the old ways when we're joined to Jesus. But we're also joined to him by faith. We are grafted or joined to his resurrection power. Life is there, not just death. Death to the old man, but life to the new man who is Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is promising in these verses that illustrates in the raising of Lazarus is what he will give to all who believe in him. No questions asked. No screening process, no application to fill out, no trying to see if you're good enough for the kingdom of God. None of that. Nobody is. 
You have been spiritually dead, living in death, producing death. But then Jesus comes and he gives life, his life. His resurrected life is placed in your soul. You have the power of the resurrected Jesus inside of you. It's as if we don't know what we've got inside of us because so often we walk around living as though he is not there. But he tells us, my life is in you. Then everything becomes new, begins to become new. And I hope this morning that you are living rooted in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. And that power begins first inside of us, produces a new world on the inside. And maybe some of you are very young in the faith and you're experiencing that for the first time and there is no time in your life that is more delightful than that when all of this is just new. Jesus is new. His people are new. His word is new. It's wonderful. He's creating a world inside of you, a holy world cleaning out the old and bringing in new, and it's beautiful. So he starts that inside of us, but there is going to come a day when what has started on the inside, the working of the kingdom of God, the resurrection power of Jesus, will be evident everywhere. His glory will fill the earth. That's what we call heaven. So there will be resurrected bodies on that day in a whole new world for us to live in. It's going to happen. Jesus is promising it here. A heavenly world where everything receives life from the sun. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I hope that this does not stay a story to you. Because whoever believes has these promises. And I hope that you will hold on to him today. Find comfort in Jesus' words. And when the time comes for a crowd to gather around your casket and say nice things about you, hopefully, that there will be words from some believer there, just one. Just one that will say about you, she is alive with Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the words of Jesus Christ who promises resurrection power to those who will believe. And there very well may be somebody here today who walked into this room not believing, and we pray, God, that your word would land with this power, the power that spoke Lazarus up from the grave, that this power would land with force inside of his or her heart and change their eternity as Jesus raises that person from the dead. We know that you are present with your word, and God, we believe that you do these things still today. You speak life into death. And Father, we also believe 
that there will come a day. It seems almost mythical to us, but it is true. When Jesus will return in the clouds with a shout, and every one of his people who have had their bodies placed in the ground, they will come out like Lazarus did. To the awe of everyone who sees it. We look forward to that day. Because we know that on that day, bodies will be transformed to be like yours. They will become heavenly bodies, fit for a place where there is no dying, death, misery, sin, shame, nothing. That we will live forever in joy with you. We have been connected to you, and we will never be separated from you. And that is the place where we will enjoy it to the full. We look forward to that day, and we thank you for your promises that you have given to sinners like us. We do not deserve it, but you love, love, love to give mercy to sinners who look to you. May we all in this room today be looking to you. And we ask it in the strong name of Jesus who shows us his power in this word.